Well, hello, all my spooky friends. I hope you're doing well out there in the uh, in internet land. And uh, tonight, very special uh, edition of Phantom Talk. We're still in the middle of the of the vaunted horror fest because, uh, uh, as we all know, uh, horror fest, or as we like to call it here on Phantom Correspondence, uh, Al's Christmas spectacular only two months early. Um, Al, I'm with you tonight, man. I mean, and, and like, I know, I know we're pretty hyped because, you know, this, this is a fantastic movie to be talking about. And, uh, Al, how are you doing tonight? Josh, I'm doing quite spectacular. Um, I mean, I, this is a movie I watch every year. I watch it outside of October. (laughs) Um, I watched it actually earlier today, uh, before we're recording, and I realized this is like the fourth time this year that I've watched this, and it's just it's just that good. So I am I am quite happy with this portion of my of my Christmas October spectacular. Yeah, we're both we're both pretty hyped tonight. Uh, this is this is a this is a movie that I think me and Al, not that we we really haven't disagreed on any of the movies really, but I think me and Al are going to be the same wavelength on this movie as both. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I know it's one of your favorite movies. And the movie we're talking about tonight is Alien. Um, Alien is a is a fantastic movie to discuss when we're talking about horror movies, even though it goes more into the science fiction uh, narratives than a lot of the movies we talk about, with the exception of the uh, fourth kind, which we're just not going to bring up at all anymore. Uh, I'm putting a moratorium <laughs> on talking about that at all on the same uh, podcast as we talk about Alien. Yeah, that's Josh uh, Hardesty's favorite horror movie, everybody. Yeah, sure. Uh, but anyway, Alien is, I mean, it's, it's a classic all the way around. Um, you know, everyone uh, knows this movie. Uh, everyone um, knows, you know, the the effect this movie had on, uh, you know, not just on horror movies, but this is a movie that had a big crossover appeal. Uh, what's interesting about this movie, I, I'd already told out, I have to bring this up, but I promise, you know, I, I know everyone out there, you know, uh, ha- at least has a general idea, you know, that when the wise sage is, is discussing anything, uh, he's always got action figures in the back of his mind. But I promise this is going somewhere, Al. I promise you. This, this is going somewhere, okay? Okay. You have, my, <laughs> you have my my tenuous confidence. <laughs> Tenuous. That's good. That's a good good way to describe it. 1979. 1979. Okay. This movie comes out for whatever reason, Kenner, uh, kind of a smaller company at the time, although really, really doing well off the back of the fact that they have, they have somehow managed to grab the star Wars license, uh, from out of nowhere from, (laughs) from, 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 just just out of pure luck, really. Um, but anyway, they, they managed to grab Star Wars license. Building off of that, Kenner also decides to grab the license to this really weird sci-fi movie called Alien. And they decide they're going to make, and for Christmas, they decide they're going to make a 14-inch alien doll, the Xenomorph. 14-inch alien doll, okay? And this is 1979, and so when you went down the aisles in 1979, you could go down and you could look at, you know, the Tonka trucks and the Star Wars figures and, you know, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe some of the early, uh, uh, some of the early army toys that we had pre-G.I. Joe and stuff like that. And then in the middle of all that, you would have H.R. Geiger's incredibly phallic 
you know, uh, you know, dark, brooding, eyeless, destroying, uh, perfect killing beast, the Xenomorph. And so, obviously, this uh, this toy uh, was quite controversial. It got pulled off of uh, off of shelves pretty quickly due to parents' complaints. Um, and so now, Al, this toy that that's when I think of Alien, this is one of the things always in the back of my head. This action figure now, if you find this action figure anywhere, that's a holy grail type piece. It can go for you know over over a thousand dollars mint in box. It's kind of one of those pieces that is. Uh, you know, just kind of coveted by anyone uh, that collects action figures, and everyone that collects action figures knows it. But that story, that in and of itself, the idea that someone looked at the H.R. Geiger design of the alien and said that this is a this is something that needs to be marketed, mass marketed. Um, the fact that someone looked at that brings me to my my first question to you, okay, which is this. Why is this design of this alien so iconic and has lasted so long um, that it is it is it is it's part of I mean it's part of pop culture I mean it's part of like you know there for a while there was a uh, there was a ride at Universal Studios you know where where an actual alien would come out you know and and attack you uh, and in the ride you know and when you watch this 1979 movie um, with all of its uh, <laughs> you know, connotations of, um, you know, sexual assault, uh, and, um, you know, and all the, you know, horrific, uh, violating type things that, that are happening in this movie. Um, and the ideas of just, you know, every, every dark thing that's in this movie, how, how is the, how has the xenomorph lasted so long as such an icon of pop culture coming from this movie? Al, what's your take on that? Yeah, man. I mean, what can I say? You know, sex sells. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, no, it's you know that's that's an interesting question you ask. Um, um, I wasn't sure where you were going with that whole offshoot, but you know, I I hung with you. I did. Um, <laughs> stuck with it. It circled um, back around to what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came back. I came back home. Um, yeah, man, I mean, you talk about, you know, the icons of horror and for, for all the really iconic standout, um, antagonist designs uh, that we've seen from horror movies over the years, um, there's about 10 other horror-based characters who have who, who have quite quickly f- fallen out of the cultural zeitgeist. And um, a part of that is probably the quality of their films, but a part of that is probably just their design. I mean, um, um, these designs, they have to be interesting or shocking or something special about it is iconic enough to stay with you that's why you know everybody is able to to pick you know xenomorphs and and pinhead from hellraiser um out of a lineup very quickly but um i'd have to go and find um the more hardcore um, devout horror fans to pick you know hatchet out of the line 
Um, <laughs> that's because Hatchet, you know, for all of the weird things that is Hatchet, you know, at the end of the day, he just kind of looks like a weird dude. Whereas you take the Xenomorph from Alien, and especially at the time, I mean, there really wasn't anything else that looked like the Xenomorph did. Um, and and it's really special. Um, it came out at a really good time as far as Hollywood practical effects went. Um, because, I mean, the, the design has aged um, incredibly well. Um, it's still very striking. It still really catches your eye. Um, it looks, it looks familiar in some ways. It looks, um, kind of humanoid in some ways because, you know, um, it's bipedal. It has the four primary appendages, you know, it walks upright. So it has a familiarity to it, but that familiarity is ruined and skewed by, you know, as you say, the very like large curved phallic shaped head um you know the tiny mouth that comes out of its 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 larger mouth um very disturbing you know that's not usually something you see in the majority of humans um and i mean this long prehensile tail i mean just everything about it catches your attention and it starts off as okay i could kind of see how this organism could work could exist but then the more you stare at it the more disturbing and the more off the design really is and then uh, you um, complement it with the other strange things in the movie you complement it with um, the face hugger you complement it with um, the very simplistic design it has when it first um, bursts out of Kane's chest Rip Kane um, but, um, I mean, yeah, it just has the pieces it needs to really strike you initially. And then um, the movie does a good job of gradually showing you more and more of the creature so that you slowly become even more um, familiar with it while still realizing, oh, something is off. This isn't a human. Uh, uh, this really isn't a humanoid figure at all. And so it really complements um, um, itself in that way. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I think I think all those things add to it. You know, and you you said there's not a whole lot back then that looked like it. There's still not a whole lot today that you can really compare to the design. Um, you know, this is a, you know, like I said, it's, it's based off of some some very interesting H.R. Geiger paintings. Um, you know who you know, who was known for this weird kind of industrial style of painting that he did, um, where things were, uh, you know, not what it, 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 inhuman is the best way to describe them. And when we, when we look at part of, part of what I think makes this movie work, <coughs> excuse me, if we can shift into kind of a critique of the film, Part of what makes this movie work, I think, is the atmosphere of it. And Alien's a big part of it. Uh, I mean, so much so that at one point, Alien's literally hiding within the, within the, the, <laughs> the, 
the ship itself, right? I mean, like within, like it, it's hiding itself, cloaking itself in the ship. And so one of the things that I think really stands out about the movie as far as how it's shot is that when you compare it to something like 2001 Space Odyssey, <clears throat> which is very much shot in a way that is, um, you know, glossy, um, very high tech, seems very futuristic. Um, Alien is not that. The first things that you figure out with Alien, uh, outside of the pods, really, is how low-tech this operation seems. And Ridley Scott didn't really try to hide that. You know, there's stuff that's just, you know, spewing steam and everything. It seems kind of almost like a like they put a steam train in space for whatever reason. Um, and so, like, the, there's this really kind of concept of almost like this would be what early you know, intergalactic space travel would be like is that, you know, extreme, extreme danger, not just from life forms, but from like the fact that you're on this hunk of junk that, you know, may or may not be able to, to handle, uh, the, the journey that you're on. I mean, you know, this, the two, the two early, you know, outside of the, you know, the face hugger scene, the two earliest scenes that are tension filled are, them landing and them taking off and the general idea of like, we don't know if we can pull off either one of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so like th- th- that was an interesting choice. I think by really Scott, because most people, when they do a sci-fi thing that, you know, they, they, they take sci-fi and okay, we want to go as far as we can with it. You know, we're going to have laser swords, you know, we're going to have, you know, uh, basically fighter jets in space, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be shooting people out through hyperdrive, you know, we're going to be doing all this stuff. Um, you know, with, with, with this, within this world that we have and really Scott's basically like, nah, but it's going to look like, you know, it's going to look like a bus, <laughs> you know, in space, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're inside of it, you know, you're going to have like a little eating quarters, you know, the only place it's going to look clean in the whole thing is the, you know, is the, uh, the infirmary, you know, but like it, it, it's, it's a very lived in grimy kind of space. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, I, I think there's, there's something that really Scott, um, there's, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, it's obviously an effect on the film, but I think there's, there's a point being made here w- with this, you know, that like, you know, this is part of, part of the, the issue here is a question, right. Of like, how far do we need to go? You know, what do we need to do now? Obviously this question gets thrown out the window by the sequels okay but like but here the there, there's there's an implied question particularly with ash's character um which we'll get to later on but particularly but you know there's a question of like you know is is this necessary you know have we gone too far because everything that happens in this movie you know is based off of people going where they don't need to go like I'm still like I've seen this movie now 25 times. If you can explain to me why Kane felt he needed to go down that hole, like go for it. You know, I mean there there's a giant corpse, you know, looking you dead in the face, and there's a hole, and you're like, let me go see what's in this hole. I I I don't understand that. Okay, and but like whereas in most movies you'd be screaming at the TV, being like, wow, that's really stupid. And I mean you can do that. But within the context of the film, it makes sense because I do think there's this underlying idea of first things first, you know, we need to leave things alone that we don't know about. Um, 
You know, do, do you see that, Al, or or, or am I just kind of reaching for straws there? No, no. I th- think you ask a good question there. I mean, um, I think a very strong theme um, in Alien is this theme of of you know um, of almost kind of like a curiosity kills the cat almost in this <laughs> in this film um you know i think about the dynamics of alien and the different kind of roles and stereotypes that the uh, that the different characters play and you know and when you think about it um this film is really um in a lot of ways a social commentary um, it has a lot of those strong themes because, you know, um, Josh, I'll ask you as a huge alien fan yourself, um, who is really the bad guy in alien? Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny you bring it up. Cause I normally, normally when I do stuff like this, like another podcast, when I bring up who the real bad guy is, y'all make fun of me, but like Ash <laughs> is the bad guy in this, mm-hmm. you know, Ash. And then like on top of Ash, like, you know, the the need to you know the the need for science to delve into places it doesn't belong is the bad guy here you know um, but yes but yes Ash is the real bad guy here right and to put that even in a larger context as well you know the reason the whole reason why any of the bad things that happen in Alien happen. I mean, yes, you have the the excessive curiosity of the crew. You have, you know, the sabotage by Ash. And then you go even further. And the root of, <laughs> of what's happening and, and why all these horrible things are happening and why the Xenomorph is unleashed um, lies at the feet of the company that they work for. Um, it lies at the feet of Aileen Yutani, who sent Ash with them in the first place um, and gave him the orders of, hey, go and, and procure the organism, bring the organism back because we want to, you know, study it and utilize it for, you know, our own attacks you know, it's kind of unclear what the political landscape is in a lot of ways um, as Alien is going on. But, um, I mean, the real evil um, in the film, because it really isn't the alien. The alien is is doing what a xenomorph does when it's introduced into an environment, right? Um, but the evil lies with the company that these people work for um, and then is enacted by the android that it sent alongside them and i mean if that's not a pretty strong source of social commentary uh, within a horror movie i'm not entirely sure what else a social commentator would want out of the film um but um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of human elements that really hold the responsibility f- for all the horror that happens um, in Alien. 
And um, I think that's a theme that you see pop up a lot um, in science fiction. I think to an even greater extent after Alien, because Alien was a very influential film. And and um, you really explore, you know, um, how much of this is due to human intervention and human expansion and just human greed and trying to get as much as they can out of everything that they can. I mean, the entire reason that this crew was on their their quest into space, it wasn't some like, you know, we have to explore the new frontier. They're coming back and they have ore with them. They have like natural they have natural resources, which we can conclude probably ran out on Earth, yeah. which is why they're going out to get it out there. Um, and so, yeah, I think the human element and the element of, you know, how responsible um, are we for some of the horrors that we invite um, or at least offer the potential to show up um, is very, very real um, in this story for sure. Um, I do have to apologize real quick to all of um, our viewers and listeners out there. If I had been thinking a little bit harder when planning Horror Fest, I would have had us do Alien, um, not this year, but next year, because then the events of Alien would be occurring 100 years in the future. And that slipped past me entirely. So I apologize (laughs) for, for that missed opportunity. Well, well, bummer. Well, we can do, maybe we can do aliens next. Well, but no, that's okay. Yeah, you're right. No, we're going to be thrown off forever now, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but no, it's the, the, yeah, the concept of, of colonization and stuff like that, it's all there. Um, but one of the things I do like about this movie is even though it's all there, um, there are so many things about this movie that are nameless and, not explored and on some movies this doesn't work okay uh, on on some movies this this is annoying like you need to have motivations things like that okay but you bring up the corporation that we know nothing about i mean really we don't i mean i mean we, we know they own the ship we know they're you know they want ore. uh we know they sent ash but we don't know anything about them okay uh we don't know Furthermore than that, uh, and you know, unless you really get into the uh, offshoot expanded alien universe, you really don't know anything about the alien life form that they find that's dead. Um, I found out later uh, in doing my research for us that there was, you know, that there was a scene that was discussed about, ex- you know, trying to explore that more and explain who they were and things like that. And Ridley Scott was basically just just cut it out. And I think that's a good choice. Um, mm-hmm. It lends to the mystery, things like that. Um, but, you know, when, when you get, when you, when you have movies like that, one of the things, the, the one, the strength of a movie like that is it invites you to bring yourself into the movie and your own interpretations into the movie. And what alien does really well is by inviting you into that, it does lead you into some interesting interpretations of really Scott you know, famously, you know, I mean, the, he does this movie and he does Blade Runner pretty much back to back. There might be one in between. Um, but both of those movies are really both of these both Alien and Blade Runner are really concerned with this concept of 
humanity losing its humanity due to technology. Um, so, and in this movie, so much to the point that there's a guy on your ship, okay, that is literally sabotaging you in every step of the way, okay, that is telling you, don't kill the alien, don't, you know, we have to, we have to keep that, we have to, you know, keep the alien inside, we have to let the alien into the ship, you know, I mean, there's a guy literally doing that, and he's so much so he's a robot, and you, you don't even notice it. That, that that's how bad it is um so there's a sense for me you know like yes i agree the consumerism is there but there's also a sense for me that when i invite myself in this movie there is this sense of like you know how how much how, science versus like the organic life so to speak um and within within this this the the concept of this movie and, and how how it goes about um, particularly one of the more, I think, it, it, one of the one of the creepier parts of this movie, um, and this this all comes from Ian Holmes' mm -hmm. acting and his ability, is when he's trying to kill uh, Ripley, with which is like, you know, there are so many like ways to kill a person. I mean, he, he's we've seen him just throw her around. You know, we've seen, we've seen her, we've seen him like, you know, just like, you know, really beat the heck out of her. Okay. So like he could have strangled her. He could have broke her neck. He could, he decides he's going to take a rolled up newspaper and stuff it down her throat, which is something I've never seen before and probably will never see again. It's the only time you'll ever see something like that. And it adds to this, once again, this inhuman quality of this character that up to that point, everyone has put their utmost trust in, <laughs> except for Ridley, you know. Um, and it's it's really in a it, it's you know it, it it's an attack not only on Ridley but it's an attack on the viewer's sensibilities because you're just seeing something that is so inhuman. If 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 he had just tried to like strangle her, you know, it would have just been a thing, okay. But every time I see that that you know that scene. I'm I'm just shocked because I'm like, who would even think like that? And it, and yeah, an android would think like that. That's the that's the experience there. And so, you know, when you when you look at when you look at Alien, we're gonna let's do a little auteur criticism because I, I know you're a Blade Runner fan, right, Al? I like Blade Runner. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, when we do a little auteur criticism with Ridley Scott, uh, which I, which anyone who's actually talked about movies with me for a while. Is going to laugh at that because they know I think Riley Scott, uh, particularly in the last few years, has been kind of in, in the more hack uh, area of, of directing. But when you look at Alien and Blade Runner and what they're attempting to say, this concept of inhumanity just keeps keeps popping up. Um, do you see that? Do you do you see that in Alien, uh, Al? Or once again, am I am I grasping for straws there? Um, I think it's there. Yeah, I think it's an element um, that's. Um, uh, that's definitely there throughout the film. I mean, the whole pretense of of going out into space, you know, going away from the world that we inhabit, the world that we um, evolved within, uh, the idea of going from that that home and kind of rejecting it and and going into unknown space and and taking things from it. Um, um, in particular, you know, this alien organism. Um, I think that 
in and of itself has a lot to say about, you know, how science can kind of drive us, you know, away from what we know, away from what humanity for the longest time has has called its home um, uh, within their environment, within nature. Um, so, so right there, the whole uh, the whole premise of the film, I think, has something to say about that because it just involves the exit from what we know and what our natural home is into something that um, is where we don't belong. Um, and so, um, you definitely have that. I'm not particularly a person who who follows that line of thinking in my everyday life. Um, I'm usually um, the type of person who is very, very pro scientific advancement. Um, you know, let's um, let's focus our efforts and our time as much in R and D as we can. Um, I mean, I do cancer research as my job now, so obviously I'm of I'm a very big fan of, of having a large budget um, in research. But um, it's worth considering, though. I think that's an overarching theme, really, in in a lot of science fiction. And since science fiction can bleed so easily into horror, um, obviously it's going to pop up there as well. Um, so it's interesting to to think about the themes and the story that really Scott is really telling. Because again, when you think about the roles that characters are playing and you step outside just the narrative of the film and think about the situation they find themselves in, you know, um, it's not, you know, completely out of bounds to almost consider um, the xenomorph as kind of a victim. And I know um, our fellow admin, um, Jenny, would probably kind of love that interpretation um, because, you know, this is an organism that was tread upon, that was found, that was actively disturbed from the place where it was asleep and resting. Um, and is taken from there and put into a new environment. And when you think about it on a larger scale, um, this story he's made really paints us as, as the invaders. It paints us as the perpetrators and, in, and instigators of the conflict. Um, and obviously you can say, well, you know, that wasn't, the crew's original intent, but it was the intent of the company that sent them. And the company is manned and staffed by, again, real human beings. And so when you think about the roles that these people play, it's almost a twist on what you come to expect with horror, right? You come to expect the antagonist to, to invade a person's home or invade a, a town or can unity or a school or some kind of population they insert themselves into it and they cause trouble but uh, when you think of it from the idea of where science is trying to take humans in the world of alien um, those roles are really flipped 
and it's the humans who are invading and it's the humans who are who are really abusing these scientific advances to drain their resources from somewhere uh, where they don't belong and and disturb things that are outside of their ecosystem and are outside of, of their own of their own evolutionary line so um it's really interesting to think about it and again it kind of kind of asks asks the question of how much how much horror and destruction do we invite into our own lives by on the decisions we make and where our priorities are i think the the interpretation of of the xenomorph as a as a victim really gains a lot of traction um in the final confrontation between the xenomorph and ridley um simply uh, excuse me ripley uh, we have, we have ridley scott and we have ripley and i'm going to do that 7000 times in this uh in this wonder part. if that was intentional <laughs> i don't know i have no clue <laughs> but it's it's annoying but uh, but between ripley and the um and the xenomorph uh, you know, you know I'll, every every time i watch i mean you tell me if you think i'm wrong here but it's you know the xenomorph is in a in a place in that ship where it seems like it's it's hunkered down. It's like I'm going to be here for the long haul, um, in the sense that it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't jump out and attack uh, Ripley. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't go out of its way to. I mean, Ripley, you know, is able to fire off, you know, blow up the ship, you know, go, you know, get 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 a good ways away, you know, put the put the cat in the crowd sleep, you know, uh, undress, you know, before she even notices it's there. Um, and so, like, there's a sense, you know, that that it, particularly in that last scene, once again, I'm not try, you know, I, I'm not going to go so far as to uh, try and sympathize with the perfect killing machine here. But at least in that moment, you know, most of the time, mo- th- this this is what makes or what made Ridley Scott a director that was different. Most of the time, that final scene is going to be a knockdown, dragout fight between the antagonist and the protagonist, right? right? In this movie, he's just laying there. <laughs> and he's laying there and, you know, and Ripley shoots him out uh, of the airlock um, and, and shoots him with a, uh, looks like a, uh, almost like a harpoon or something. Uh, but like, you know, he's not doing anything. Um and so I, I've, I've often wondered, you know, if, if there was something being stated, stated just within that scene itself, um, because really Scott's type of guy that uh, so sometimes, well, a lot of times to his detriment, you know, every scene has to has to have a point. And that one to me, you know, where you find the monster in such a um, such a passive place uh, is different than 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 other um, than, than other uh um, you know, monster movies, so to speak. However, I will also say it's also almost terrifying because, you know, the parasitic nature of this thing and the fact it could blend in and things like that honestly adds a lot to the horror of the, uh, of the, of the alien, you know, um, like I said, if, if, you know, she hadn't just been in the right place at the right time, she would have never noticed the thing was there. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot you can state, uh, state with that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, how this movie is just shot overall. Um, we, we've done a little bit of that with the other ones, but I think this movie, with the other movies we've talked about, but I think this movie here is, 
is the movie that uh, is definitely closest to being on an elite level from a purely cinema, cinema, uh, cinematography standpoint mm. um, because of really Scott's really, really extremely good use of lighting and extremely good use of, of background uh, and effect and how he frames things. Um, Al, you know, like, you know, did, did we just give Ridley Scott too much money and that's why he doesn't make movies like this anymore? <laughs> yeah, probably. We should probably, if we had just cut his paycheck in half, I don't think Prometheus would have even happened. And the world well, would be I, a better Because, like, when you compare this movie to Prometheus, like, I mean, when you compare the two movies, okay, they, you know, and they're they're not even the same ballpark of what they're trying to do, it seems like. You know, I mean, this this movie is so rich in its textures of darkness, you know, like there's 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 dark parts. And then there's there's like layers of darkness in this movie. Like, it's very hard. That's the only way I can describe it. I know that if you've never seen this movie, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think Josh is a crazy man, you know, (laughs) talking about this movie. But like when you watch this movie, that's the only way to describe it, you know, because you have you have the you have the egg, you know which is shrouded in its own darkness. You have what the egg is on, which is in a, in a darker darkness. And then you have everything that's around it. That's just pitch black, you know? And it's like it, that, that type of skill set, you know, to light things that way. Um, I, I don't understand, you know, when, you know, and I, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's like, you know, the, there was this movie and, you know, he had, he had apparently had $8 million to do this movie. And, when you watch it, it's like he's stretching every single penny, <laughs> you know, to get to get what he needs out of that. Um, you know, it, it's just, you know, uh, I mean, does it strike you the same way, Al, or am I just, you know, going crazy over here? No, no, I think it does. Um, actually, this most recent time I watched it just earlier today, um, I was watching it and I was struck by a similar. It's interesting. I was struck by a similar yet almost opposite thing where I had the thought of um, a very good friend of mine um, has not seen a lot of horror stuff. However, she wants to. And so we've been watching a few horror things here and there every year when October rolls around. And she told me this year that eventually she does want to watch alien. And while watching it today, I realized I was just like, as far as like horror films go and especially horror films that have like, a, a a non-human antagonist um if her if the first thing that she watches is alien she is going to be very spoiled as far as as far as like the overall overall quality of the film of course but especially she's going to be spoiled by how much you get to see of these things um because i talked about it a little bit earlier um when you see the full form of the xenomorph um you get to see a lot of it pretty well and um it's really cool as you were talking about the use of 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 the lights and the darkness that they use in the cinematography is great because it kind of shows you the xenomorph almost in like a in a piece by piece kind of way um 
it kind of shows you the head first and then it expands out a bit and then you get to see you know the really long arms with the weird claws at the end and then it expands a little bit more and you get to see the tail and more of the arch of the head and you see it you know in a kind of slow digestible way um however you get to see it i mean you get to see it pretty early on in the film and then you have on the face hugger even before that i mean you get up close and personal with what the face hugger is with what it looks like with how it probably functions and it's almost interesting because um as we were talking about earlier this idea of what role the xenomorph really plays um shot for shot it's almost as if the alien is cast in more light whereas the crew members um you kind of see through various tones and levels of darkness and things like that which is a really interesting approach but um yeah i just had that thought of just like man if this is the first monster film you watch like you're going to get very frustrated with other films because you don't get to see i mean a tenth of what you see in the first you know in the first encounter with the alien as you do um by the end of other films so um uh which i think is great i think it's very cool yeah it is it is one of those that would that would spoil people so maybe you know maybe maybe get some of the some of the lesser known slashers out of the way first before you hit this one you know definitely maybe do black christmas first before you hit this one or something you know or there you go. whatever or i might have just offended all the black christmas fans i don't know but i'm just i'm just thinking <laughs> to your point you know it's it's to your point it, it's elevated is what it is it's somebody it, it's somebody giving attention to what is essentially a horror movie um the same level of attention you would give to you know a a high quality uh oscar bait type movie and and you know and to your you just don't see that very often due to either a um you know the the care set forth by the people making the movie or b the budget um but also just you know i mean you know there's there's a there's a genius there's a genius level of of directing quality going on here um but there's also a genius level really and and every time you know uh, every time I watch this movie, I get a little, you know, a, a little, little more attached uh, to to this part of the film. This is one of the uh, sneakily one of the m- most perfectly cast movies in history. Yes, um, every single person on this film um, brings exactly what is needed at that time. Um, and when you look back at movies. Uh, even movies that you would consider, you know, 10 out of 10 movies, that's a rarity. You know, normally there's somebody, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, me and Jake argue all the time, but I love, I love the Dark Knight. I think Dark Knight's fantastic. 10 out of 10 movie, one of my favorite movies ever. Maggie Gyllenhaal is just a anchor in every single scene she's in in that movie, you know, in my opinion. Um, you don't have that in Alien. You don't have anyone bringing things down. Um, every single person uh sends this story forward um both by their reactions both by um you know how they um how they um how they react not only to the alien but to each other 
um, because you have this, you know, one of the one of the scenes that's really interesting to me um, uh, at the at the end uh, uh, when it's just the four left. You know, when you just got Parker, Lambert, Ash, uh, and uh, Ripley. Um, almost called a Ridley again. You've got this really kind of tense scene where, like, there's a there's a you know like Ripley's mace making the point like we need to do exactly what Dallas wanted us to do, you know, just follow that follow that plan through, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. You have that that moment, you know, and then you have this moment with it where like. Parker's like, yeah, sure, I'm gonna go and do that, and he just walks off with the with the flamethrower, and you know, in any other movie, in like in, in any other movie, like you'd be screaming at at the television, saying like, well, you know, don't don't separate, and you know, right, they shouldn't have separated, but because of everything that's led up to that, because of the mounting frustration that Parker has had, you know, Parker, remember, you know, uh, you're something in the back of your mind goes. You know, Parker wanted to stab the stupid thing with a knife when when it first burst out of Kane's chest. Okay, you know Parker's the one ready to kill it, and Ash told him not to. You know, Parker's been Parker's been griping about every plan that they've had up to this point. You know, it makes perfect sense for Parker to do what he does. Um, and and so you know when when you when you when you bring this perfect cast of characters together, um, it takes what is essentially because I mean I view this movie out I mean, you, you correct me if I'm wrong but this movie is essentially a, a haunted house movie with an alien is what it essentially becomes mm. um but it takes that concept and elevates it to another level wherein um there these are characters that not only do you care about but when one of them goes down you wonder about the domino effect on the other characters so like you know, for I mean, I mean, th- th- this is a movie that takes Harry Dean Stanton, who is, in my opinion, one of the best character actors of all time, um, and like offs him. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's other than Kane, he's the first person gone, um, mm-hmm. and like when that happens, you know, my your your thought process in the back of your head goes, okay, well, the engine room got a little weaker there. Okay, you know, and every every little domino effect that happens, you know, matters in, in that in that regard, with the possible exception of Lambert, who honestly seems kind of useless. But other than that, you know, um, every every other uh, aspect that, you know, uh, seems to matter, you know, when when these people go down, it's not just like that you care about them. It's that, well, how how. OK, so like how is how is Ripley, you know, how are Ripley and Parker going to get through it without that person? How is, you know, we, uh, who's going to communicate with mother now Dallas is gone, that kind of thing. Um, Al, you agreed with me pretty quick on the cast, man. I mean, you know, what, what stands out with you about this, this perfect cast? Yeah. Um, I mean, this cast is, I mean, as far as, as total casts go for horror films, um, I mean, it's, is pretty hard to beat. Um, of course, um, it's granted a little bit of advantage there because it isn't a super huge cast, but still that being said, um, everyone does a terrific job. Um, I'm as big a Sigourney Weaver fan as people will probably find. I love Sigourney Weaver to death. I think she, I think it says a lot 
that the worst alien films, or at least films within the alien universe, if we have to include <laughs> atheists, um, I think it says a lot that um, the worst alien films all lack Sigourney Weaver. Um, and I think there's something to that. But um, as great as she is, I mean, Ian Holm just steals the show. And it's really interesting because, if anything, his acting performance improves the more you watch Alien. Um, because on about the fourth or fifth viewing, um, and I'm like, Josh, I've seen this film upwards of like 20 times around the third or fourth viewing of it you start to pay attention to ashmore because you know the twist um is coming about him and the way ian home is able to portray this very realistic character of you know he's very about his job um he has a very you know inflated sense of self um he'll He'll do what he thinks is right, but he'll go about his his job duties as well. Um, he's very focused on his job. He doubts how competent the people around him are, but he'll still, you know, engage with people and, and keep the ship happy. I mean, I've worked with dozens of people like that. Um, and he just feels so very real that as you're watching it, you're just kind of blown away that, like, man, he's really selling this role to the point that like it's a totally different role than what his character truly is and getting to re-watch it you really get to appreciate that even more but um i mean as you said i think one of the um, the biggest strengths of alien and why it's so easy to be invested in this film is that um the cast overall the cast feel like real people and horror films in general have a kind of tendency to have um, somewhat flanderized characters in a lot of ways. Um, I, I remember last year we talked about Friday the 13th and you talked about, you know, the idiot guy who who at one point is in like a Speedo and like a, a Native American like uh, headdress and is going around all crazy. And um and um, I think this uh, this year I talked about some of the supporting cast in Halloween where like everybody in there is just like over the top horrible. <laughs> They're just like the worst teenagers I've ever seen. And you get this feel that, you know, they're a little bit over the top. And even if it's enjoyable, you get the feeling of just like, OK, like I get what kind of character they're trying to be. Whereas with the crew and Alien, I mean, they feel like actual, real human beings who are on, you know, a very long trip together. Um, and they work together. So there's the professional component of their, their relationship. But um, you spend enough time with almost anyone, you start to grow bonds and you get that feeling from their interactions. And it's just the characters feel so natural and so human that it's so easy to get invested in it. And as you said, it, that makes it so much easier to kind of be invested as they die to see how that affects everybody else and how it affects um, the social aspect of the movie. 
But um, yeah, I mean, as I said, it's it's hard to think of horror films with a stronger cast uh, than Alien. Um, it's wild. Yeah, our um, you know this you bring up Sigourney Weaver, and I think this is a good time to it's a good time to talk about her as, as ever um, because um, Sigourney Weaver. One of the things I love about Sigourney Weaver, I was talking about this with Jake today because um, he was he was talking about how at one point Daniel Craig had made the statement that he didn't just want to be known for one role. Um, Sigourney Weaver has never, ever shied away from her role as Ripley. She loves the role um, to the point where she's in a, she, she ended up doing a movie where she probably shouldn't have done um, because she wanted to come back and do the role. Um, when you talk about Ripley and, and kind of the growth that you see, um, it's almost, you know, we, we, we've talked about final girls, but like, man, Ripley almost transcends the role in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, cause she's got, it's, you know, of course with, it's almost unfair because she, she's a, she's a, you know, as opposed to, you know, Sydney or, or Lori Strode, you know, who are, you know, basically, I mean, you know, teenagers, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know, Ripley is a different kind of final girl because there's an element of competency that she brings to the affair um, from the beginning. You know, I mean, she's part, she's a, she's a active part of this crew. One of the things that, uh, that I read that was interesting is that one of the things they were very intent on is making every single last name um, unisex so that there wasn't a point where like, if they did cast a, 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 a woman, in a role that that role, you know, like she was, she was going to have that role regardless of, you know, her, her, her gender or whatever, you know, her ability to do that job was not going to be, um, mm. you know, uh, complicated, so to speak by the fact that, Oh no, she's a woman. And they never, they never dive into that, you know, like everyone has their own job and they're all have extreme competency at it. Um, you know, and so like with Ripley, what's interesting about her, of course, is that, you know, she's she's the survivor. And as these movies go on, she's the one that knows the most about the xenomorph and she's the one that can tell you about them and what they do. And it adds to her competency, so to speak. Um, you know, one of the reasons this works so well, though, is simply because of what Sigourney Weaver brings to the role what rewatching this back, you know, I think one of the more <laughs> one of the better parts in this movie is when she sees the she sees the alien blocking her from getting into the ship. And at this point, she's already set the self-destruct. So she goes back to try to stop the self-destruct. And like, you know, as she's this, it's, it's the it's the first time in the whole film, the entire film. We're like, she breaks down. We're like, she's like at a moment of, you know, complete, uh, you know, just like at a loss, so to speak. Um, at this point in, in any other horror movie, you know, when you, at, at this point in a horror movie, when you have your heroine, you have seen your heroine. I mean, I, I just think of like, I think of, you know, I know what you did last summer or, or Scream, you know. You've seen your heroine at this point be terrorized, crying, uh, more than likely crying in the arms of a boyfriend, 
um, you know, uh, talking to people and looking like a crazy person, you know, I mean, just over and over and over again. Right. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, I mean, this, you know, that, that that's what you see sure. with Ripley. You, you get this moment where she's the, she's the last person. And first and foremost, it makes sense that she's the last person. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, when she does break down, that's the, and then you have that moment of, 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 uh, of vulnerability with her. It, it adds to the power of the moment because you're like, Oh my God, he has really been through hell. I mean, like, you know, when, when you see someone that strong break down, um, and so like there, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Ridley Scott has, you know, has any type of like, you know, feminist leanings or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Um, but here's what I do know when it comes to creating an action hero, um, you know, male or female, Ripley is as powerful as anybody. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it really comes from Sigourney Weaver's, uh, of ability, um, to, to just really embody this role. Um, you know, and, and I don't know about you, Al, but every single time I watch this movie, like I just count the ways that like, if you would just listen to Ripley, this movie would be 20 minutes long, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, I mean, she, she's on the act from, from the, from, from the get. You know, like from the moment they wake up, essentially, um, she's the only one that really sees how weird he is. Um, and then, like, he, he doesn't want to let the alien into the into the uh, in, into the ship. Yeah. You know, she's the one that's like, you know, we have to kill the face hugger. You know, I mean, like all these all these things, all these moments, you know. Uh, like this movie'd be ten minutes long if if you just listen to Ripley. You know, we we could have we could have gotten we could have walked out of this movie in the time it takes to watch two movie previews. You know, um, but uh, but no, I, you know that was a that was a like a nice little five minute journey into me just gushing over Sigourney Weaver. But yeah, I think I think it needs to be said. And uh, you know, this, she uh, I, I really you know they they do every year it seems like we get a rumor that she's going to come back and do, do one more. And if they do another one, I think she, they really need to give her some type of role. Cause like, yeah. you know, she, she deserves it. I mean, you know, and you, and that, to your point, you've seen what the movies can be without her. And, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just bad. It's bad all the way around. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to kind of, I, I want to talk about one more thing and, and to close it out here, um, because I think this is a good place to close it out. Um, a lot of these movies, Al, we've we've picked um, either because of, you know, and there, there's exception to this, but like there's been movies we've picked because of either uh, your background um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in psychology, my background in theology. Um, one of the things that strikes me about this movie and I think we can both have we can both have conversations about this. Um, is the utter um, lack of I'm not going to say hope, but like just the the loneliness of this movie. Mm. Um, sci-fi movies, the particular so so when you when you look at the big three sci-fi movies that come around in the 70s, the first two do similar things, although they do different things with them. And they're both, whether you agree with them or not, are very spiritual movies. And I mean, Star Wars and 2001 Space Odyssey. Sure. Star Wars, of course, has the Force. 
2001 has uh, Space Baby at the end of it. That's I guess is God. I don't I, I, I don't know what's happened to 2001 Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. but you know there's that. Okay, but they're both spiritual movies. Okay, that are looking at things from a spiritual nature and saying, to an extent, you know, in these galaxies far, far and away, the things that bring us together are spiritual in nature. Both those movies have that theme. Alien utterly discards that theme. Mm. And it's not just doing it because of it's a horror movie, and that doesn't make sense in horror movies. We've already seen horror movies typically have some type of spiritual, mm-hmm. something in them that's spiritual. I mean, a lot of them do. You know, not I, I said typical, that's not the word, but a lot of them have some type of spiritual concept in nature to them, okay? Sure. Alien is just like, no. To the point where it's like, Okay, we're we're basically shipping, sending Kane off into the black unknown. Does anybody want to say anything? No. Because who would you say it to? I mean, that's simply how I take that scene. Tell me if I'm wrong, Al. Um, no, no. I think that's a f- fair interpretation. And you get this. You get this con. You get this image of this body going off into the black unknown uh you know and just you know being sent out to space um and and of course the tagline of this movie famously you know was you know in space no one can hear you scream so you have some you have some very interesting moments in this movie um that seem to promote uh, there's a lot of people that call Ridley Scott a you know a postmodern director. I don't want to get into all that type of stuff, but you know when you look at at Ridley Scott and his body of work, particularly what he starts with, um, you know is is there a sense where you know he is and and I, I'll ask you this because you've you've seen you know you're I would consider you the alien expert more than me. You know, when you look at Alien, is there a sense that he's that his his concept is a very hu- humanist version of of life, so to speak? Whereas, if we want to overcome things, we have to rely on ourselves. We can't rely on a on you know a, a mystical force that we don't understand. We can't rely on Space Baby, you know, to rebirth us, you know, in a beautiful way. You know, if we want to make a difference in this world, it's going to be on us, you know, as human beings. Is that a concept you see in this movie? Or once again, am I reading too much into this? Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, I just want to clarify, um, and this is really important, I think, for everybody um for everybody to, to understand um you can always count on space baby i don't want <laughs> that to go unrecognized but um, <laughs> but um i don't know that's a that's a really interesting point um and i think i think that when you consider alien um a lot of people like to point to Alien as the beginning 
as a real beginning of space horror. And I think Alien is where space horror really started to become what it was going to be. Um, and uh, was more solidified with it. But whenever I try to think of of, of portrayals of, of space horror and some of the schools of thought and ideas and themes that come with it, I go back to several episodes of a little TV show people might have heard of um, called the called the Twilight Zone, mm. and a lot of those space oriented episodes of the Twilight Zone um, have themes that are very existential, are very almost. Idealistic, in a lot of ways, um, they're very focused on on questioning, you know, humankind's place in the universe, um, how we understand ourselves um, as human beings in the first place, um, and so you get a lot of that. And I think with uh, with really Scott as as a sci-fi buff and sci-fi you know, pioneer um, in some senses. I can't help but think that Scott was at least somewhat influenced by a lot of those themes that tended to pop up, um, both in the Twilight Zone, but also um, in sci-fi books as well. Um, And I think you see a lot of that influence as an alien. I think you see a lot of... It's interesting that you chose the word um, humanism because I would very much describe what we see in Alien as as a very existential type of horror. Um, And I'm glad uh, you talked about the scene where... um, um, they just kind of dispose of Kane's body into the void because, you know, this film was made um, in 1979. Um, that's 10 years after we got a guy on the moon. Um, space at that point, and also in a lot of ways up to this point now today, um, space is a prime source of anxiety and horror and and existentialism i know here recently it's been kind of glamorized as you know you know if um if you're a trillionaire you can just you can just kind of send yourself into the stratosphere and hang out and and have cool ideas about oh isn't it cool if we go to mars and colonize and things like that um but um but space and it's and how infinite it is. Um, space is terrifying. I think space is one of the most natural horrors in the real world. Because again, you get this feeling that when you leave, when you leave our planet, um, you are officially surrounded by a place where you don't belong. 
Um, you have never been in more foreign, unfamiliar area um, than when you are in space. And I think it's that idea of, of existential unhomeness, if I can just create a word there, um, that existential unhomeness, that lack of where you belong in space that invites those themes of, of isolation and loneliness and dread. And to get even more to your point and to your question of is really Scott trying to tell a story of of self-reliance um, upon our upon ourselves and upon who we are as humans. I wonder if he is telling that story, but not at the expense of anything else. It just comes as a natural consequence of placing a story somewhere that we so don't understand and so don't belong in. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that makes Alien so great is that um, the existentialism comes through, you know, as soon as you realize, oh, they're in space, they aren't anywhere close to Earth. Um, at one point they say, okay, guys, the trip home is going to take 10 months of space travel. That's a long way away from Earth. Uh, that's a long way away from where humans are supposed to be in the greater scheme of things. And so I think that existentialism brings in that dread and that isolation and that slow realization that Ripley has of, like... I am alone. There is no help possibly coming to save me. And that helps paint her as a very self-sufficient version of a final girl. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that's why Alien has had so much staying power, so much influence in pop culture, which is why we're talking about it this year, is that the idea that you are trapped somewhere where you do not need to be is very naturally terrifying and invites very naturally horrific questions to ask about who we are if we're in a place where we don't belong. Um, so I know that got very heady in a lot of ways. <laughs> Hopefully there was something um, understandable there and all of that. Yeah, I, no, I, I wanted to get heady. I, I do, you know, I yeah, I think... Um, um, I, I, I do, yeah, I do think there's there's definitely an existential reading of this movie, uh, particularly the, particularly in classical existentialism, which is, you know, essentially the most important thing is choice, um, you know, and 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 being able to make your own choices. I mean, you had you literally, I mean, it's almost a, it's almost on the nose because you, you're dealing with a with an alien that uh, the first thing it does is takes away someone's choice. It takes Kane's choice away, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, with, with all of the, uh, with all of the, uh, sexual assault vibes that go with that. Um, but the, to me, the, the thing, the thing, when, when, I, when I look at this movie and like compare it, like I said, to, uh, particularly Star Wars, um, because Star Wars has a very clear, 
concept of what it's doing, which is essentially, you know, <laughs> from the moment Luke is looking out at the two suns, okay, um, he's wondering, you know, like what is out there and that kind of thing. And Star Wars basically says what's out there is the Force. And the Force binds everything together. It binds Luke with this little green thing named Yoda. It binds Luke with his horrible, abusive father, Darth Vader. It binds everything together, okay? When you look at Alien, Alien essentially states, by the end of its movie, um, that that is false. (laughs) (laughs) That there isn't a thing that binds us together. In fact, in fact, if we go out and we look for other cultures, if we go out and we look and we, we put ourselves in places where we don't belong, it's going to destroy us. So what we need to do, you know, is, you know, I'm not going to say mind our own business, but essentially, you know, we are alone in our ability to make our own choices, which is classical existentialism. It does seem almost, you know, um, not to put words in Ridley Scott's mouth, but it almost seems like he's reacting to it. Once again, 79 is two years after Star Wars, which is the biggest cultural thing that's ever happened in America before or since. Seriously. I mean, like from a from a movie standpoint. And so you have all these things reacting to it, you know, and I think I think aliens are reacting to it. I think it is. I think it is essentially stating Star Wars got it wrong, guys. You know, there isn't a force that binds us. There isn't a thing, you know, that that keeps us together. Um, you know, and and when when you when you really look at and and when you when you really, particularly the end of the film, you know, I mean, you brought up the end of the film. She's alone, and you know, she's giving this report to, and I think this is important, something or some things or some people that we have never seen or heard of in this movie. We that they're they are they they are entities that we know nothing about and they never communicate with uh Sigourney Weaver at any point. They never communicate with anybody at any point. The whole mother computer, you know, is just a computer and when, when Dallas tries to ask, ask it a an actual question uh, it doesn't even, it can't even give an answer because, oh, by the way, the mother computer is actually working against you, you know, mm-hmm. like the universe is <laughs> once again. That's, and that's, I mean, that's classical existentialism and that's that to your word. You know, I mean, I think you, you picked the right word there. Um, I'm not saying that this makes this movie a hopeless movie um, because I think there is a definite hope in the idea of, of Sigourney Weaver surviving and everything. Um, but the hope is a completely different hope than what Star Wars did. Star Wars looked, to your point, Star Wars looked at the infinite sky and said, there must be a God. And Alien looks at the infinite sky and says, that's terrifying. And therein lies the difference. Um, and, I, and I do think that's, that's, that's one of the things that makes this movie stand out to me, um, is it does invite itself into that very primal horror we have of nothingness. You know, is there, you know, the, the, the scene with Kane going off, you know, is that it? Is there nothingness out there? And that's a primal fear, you know, I think everyone deals with at some point. 
Um, and that's, you know, that, that, that's what makes alien, that, that, that's what's made alien last for, for so long. It's the reason, it's the reason we talk about alien, um, the way we do, you know, and, and the very few horror movies reach that level, um, because of that, you know, because it hits something so primal with us. So, so yeah. Um, That was my last point, but I also realized that's not really a very like. I mean, that's like the most depressing way we've ever ended a podcast. That's like that's it, everybody. Ever, everybody go home and realize there is no place ever, for you in the universe ever. <laughs> um, you know, I mean this this is this is the yeah. I, I almost want to tell a joke or something, you know, to kind of liven things up. But uh, but I mean that's that's you know that's that's alien, you know, for better or worse. I think that's that's how I view it. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think there's a lot uh, to digest there. Um, well, it's it's also a good thing that um, in <laughs> in the wisdom of Hollywood um, to follow up this film about, you know, horrific um, things happening and existential dread and all of that. Um, they decided the follow up is going to be, you know. Guns of blazing action horror, which is really a fun ride. So it's a completely so after, different so afterwards, movie. just watch Aliens. <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different movie. And I mean, hey, you know, like that's the thing. Watch that one, and you'll learn about the power of of motherhood, so to speak. You know, sure. um, both both if you're a fan of the actual Alien, and if you're a fan of Ripley, you know, it works <laughs> it works both ways. So, you know, you can, yeah, that, that's the, that's, yeah, it, it's a completely different movie. Yeah. And I mean, but, but I think even that speaks to almost the idea of like <clears throat> almost Hollywood, you know, in and of itself, uh, the entity that is Hollywood was uncomfortable with how alien ended, you know? So it was <laughs> like, nah, we gotta, we gotta bring in the machine guns guys. So, uh, so yeah, not, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Al, this has been this has been fun. Uh, this has been a good one, a good discussion. Um, I, I I know me and you both have a really high opinion of Alien. Uh, if you have not seen Alien, uh, I would say you know Alien one and two, uh, or well, excuse me, hold on, uh, boy, I will really make Alien fans mad if I do that. Let me let me try that again. <laughs> Alien and Aliens, uh, definitely definitely worthwhile. I would I would get I would put. Uh, uh, I say 100% go see those. Uh, Alien Three, um, you know it's 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 a movie. Um, Resurrection is horrific, and then uh, Prometheus and, and the and Alien Covenant is just I I don't even know I I, got, I don't even know what's happening in those movies. So you know uh, that's I I do have to jump in here. Um, so Alien and Aliens. Um, very different in tone, but both, um, excellent films, uh, yeah. that everybody should watch at least once. Um, Alien 3, um, objectively not in the same tier as Alien or Aliens, but if you're a fan of the lore, it can be an enjoyable romp, you know, it's not horrible. Um, I cannot stand the slander of alien of alien resurrection oh my um, lord alien resurrection is one of the most 
enjoyable rides of a sci-fi film I've ever seen. Everyone should watch it. Um, is, it is this a bit, or are you are you being for real? No, this isn't a no. This isn't a bit at all. And and you know how you can tell it isn't a bit because I'm about to shit all over Prometheus. <laughs> <laughs> Because Prometheus is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, a walk, then. Uh, I, I had no clue you had that opinion. No, no, it's that's a blast. A it's take, that's the that's the hottest take you've ever had, honestly. Man, that's and that's saying a lot. It yeah. is. <laughs> but um, no, no, there is a there is a soft place in my heart for Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. Um, they're not great. Um, they're arguably not good. But um, I just enjoy them because I love the world so much. But um, everything that came out after um, is is just a hot trash fire that I I can't endorse. Uh, but one last thing I can endorse: if you if you're a fan of Alien, if you're a fan of the world, um, Marvel Comics is um, um, is currently publishing an Alien um, comic series right now. Um, it's fantastic. They just tied up the storyline of the first, um, the first trade, if you will, um, and I believe the trade paperback version of it um, comes out at the end of this month, if it isn't out already. Um, and the second arc just started last month, and so far it seems to be pretty independent of the first arc. So you can go ahead um, and jump into it if you want to. But if you want to support the horror industry and support the comic book industry at the same time, um, then go and get Alien. Um, it's really, really good. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, Phil Kennedy Johnson, who's a fantastic writer. Um, is, or he did the first, I know he did the first six. I'm assuming he's done the new one, too. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's pretty fantastic. Uh, so definitely, yeah, definitely check those out. Um, also, if, if, we're in the, if we're in the plugging mood, Al, if we're in the plugging mood. Before we go, we have to plug uh, some things we got going on. Al, you just you, I, I know it's up because get, you said it was up. Uh, you just put up a YouTube uh, tier list on Silent Hill, correct? I did. I um, I ranked all of these Silent Hill games uh, that have come out. Um, so so be sure to check that out. Um, this year, I intended um, a bunch of tier list videos um, that kind of fell through the cracks just because. Um, I work a couple jobs Life. outside of fandom correspondence, so I just didn't have the time, <laughs> but, um, but that's up. Yeah. So, so check it out on fandom correspondence on YouTube. Yeah. I, I, uh, I can, I, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to watch that. Uh, that's, that, that's a tier list I'm very excited about. I know you are a, a huge Silent Hill fan. Uh, I real, real, real quick. Did you include PT or not? Um, I did not include PT just because um, yeah, the templates um, of the tier list I used um, didn't have it on there. But um, I do t um, talk about where I would have it on there, though. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah, I just I think PT is the great, great lost game. You know, I wish uh, wish somebody just straight up buy all those from Konami and uh, let's let's do this thing. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely go and look at that. Look at look at that. Uh, we got. We got another heart. We got two more of these horror fest of uh, 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 reviews coming out uh, next week. Uh, should be something completely different. <laughs> and then uh, the week after that, of course, is the fans' choice. I haven't checked the votes lately, but uh, yeah, definitely get on there. Uh, get on our our um, uh, our Patreon. 
Uh, that's how you vote. I think, I think Jake probably said it at a dollar, but I'll be honest with you. If, if you, it, and I think I'll be perfectly fine with this because we're very clearly not getting ripped off of this. Uh, if you send in a vote through Facebook or through Twitter or through Instagram, whatever, and you just like tag us and say, I'm voting for such and such, we'll count that as a vote. Uh, you know, we just, we just, we want to have interaction with you. The reason we put it on Patreon, we just thought it'd be that's the easiest way to do it. Um, but if you want to, uh, if you want to vote and you're just like, these guys don't deserve a dollar, uh, there's other ways to, to do it. Um, so, so definitely get with us, let us know what you want to hear, uh, with, uh, throughout the rest of Horror Fest. Um, and stay, uh, stay looking at fandom correspondence, uh, interact with us on our website, on Twitter, on Patreon, on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, uh, you know, just, you know, let us know what you want. Uh, we are, we are here for you. We're having a ball doing this. Uh, we hope you're having fun listening to it. Uh, Al, thank you once again, uh, for, uh, for your amazing alien expertise as always. <laughs> always, always happy to talk about alien with anybody. <laughs> exactly and uh, as always guys phantom is for everyone y'all have a have a good uh, afternoon good evening wherever you're at